The twin city of Ankhmore Pork, foremost of all the cities bounding the Circle Sea, was a matter of course the home of a large number of gangs, thieves' guilds, syndicates and smaller organisations. This was one of the reasons of it for its wealth. Most of the humbler folk on the Windershin side of the river, in Moorpork's mazy alleys, supplemented their meagre incomes by filing some small role, filling some small role or other of the competing gangs. So it was that so it was that by the time Hugh and Twoflower entered the courtyard of the broken drum, the leaders of a number of them were aware that someone had arrived in their city who appeared to have some much treasure. Some reports from the more observant spies included details about a book that told the stranger what to say and a box that walked by itself. These facts were immediately discounted. No magician capable of such enchantments ever came within a mile of the Moorpork docks. It still being an hour that when most of the city was just rising or about to go to bed, there were a few people in the drum to watch flower, two flower descend the stairs. When the luggage appeared behind him and started to lurch confidently down the steps, the customers at the rough wooden tables, as one man, looked suspiciously at their drinks. Broadman was browbeating the small troll who slept at the bar when the trio walked past him. What in hell's that? he said. Just don't talk about it, hissed Hugh. Two Flower was already thumbing through his book. What's he doing? said Broadman, arms akimbo. It tells him what to say. I know it sounds ridiculous, muttered Hugh. How can a book tell a man what to say? I wish for an accommodation, a room, lodgings, the lodging house, full board. Are your rooms clean? A room with a view? What is your rate for one night? said Two Flower in one breath. Broadman looked at Hugh. The beggar shrugged. He's got plenty of money, he said. Tell him it's three copper pieces then, and that thing will have to go in the stable. Duh, said the stranger. Broadman held up three thick red fingers and the man's face was suddenly a sunny display of comprehension. He reached into his pouch and laid three large gold pieces in Broadman's palm. Broadman stared at them. They represented about four times the worth of the broken drum, staff included. He looked at Hugh. There was no help there. He looked at the stranger. He swallowed. Yes, he said, in an unnaturally high voice. And there's meals, of course. Uh, you understand, yes? Food? You eat? No? He made the appropriate motions. Foot? said the little man. Yes, said Broadman, beginning to sweat. Have a look in your little book, I should. The man opened the book and ran a finger down one page. Broadman, who could read after a fashion, peered over the top of the volume. What he saw made no sense. A food, said the changer. Stranger. Yes. Cutlet, hash, chop, stew, ragu, fricassee, mince, collops, souffle, dumpling, blanc mange, sorbet, gruel, sausage, not to have a sausage, beans, without a bean, kickshaws, jelly, jam, giblets. He beamed at Broadman. All that, said the innkeeper weakly. It's just the way he talks, said you. Don't ask me why, he just does. All eyes in the room were watching the stranger, except for a pair belonging to Rincewin the wizard, who was sitting in the darkest corner nursing a mug of very small beer. He was watching the luggage. 
watch Rincewind. Look at him, scrawny like most wizards and clad in a dark robe on which a few mystic sigils were embroidered in tarnished sequins. Some might have taken him for a mere apprentice enchanter who had run away from his master out of defiance, boredom, fear and a lingering taste for heterosexuality. Yet around his neck was a chain bearing the bronze octagon that marked him as an alumnus of the Unseen University, the high school of magic, whose time and space transcendent campus is never precisely here or there. Graduates were usually destined for maidship, at least, but Rincewind, after an unfortunate event, had left only knowing one spell and made a living of sorts around the town by capitalising on an innate gift for languages. He avoided work as a rule, but had a quickness of wit that put his acquaintances in mind of a bright rodent, and he knew sapient pearwood when he saw it, and he was seeing it now, and it didn't quite and he didn't quite believe it. An archmage, by dint of great effort and much expenditure of time, might eventually obtain a small staff made from the timber of the sapient pear tree. It grew only on sites of ancient magic. There were probably no more than two such staff in all the cities of the Circle Sea. A large chest of it, Winston tried to work out, and decided that even if the box were crammed with a star with star opals and sticks of oricholatum, the contents would not be worth one-tenth of the price of the container. A vein started to throb in his forehead. He stood up and made his way to the trio. "'May I be of assistance?' he ventured. "'Shove off, Rincewind,' snarled Broadman. I only thought it might be useful to address this gentleman in his own tongue, said the wizard gently. He's doing all right on his own, said the innkeeper, but took a few steps backwards. Rincewind smiled politely at the stranger and tried a few words in Chimmeran. He prided himself on his fluency in the tongue, but the stranger only looked bemused. It won't work, said Hugh knowledgeably. It's the book, you see. It tells him what to say. Magic. Rincewind switched a high Borogavaranian to Vanglemesht, Sumptree, and even Black Urugu, the language with no nouns and only one adjective, which is obscene. Each was met with a polite incomprehension. In, desper in desperation he tried heathen trob, and the little man's face split into a delighted grin. At last, he said, my good sir, this is remarkable. Although in trob the last word in fact became a thing which may happen but once in the unusable lifetime of a canoe hollowed dil diligently by axe and fire from the tallest diamondwood tree that grows in the noted diamondwood forests on the lower slopes of Mount Awayawayawa, home to the fire gods, or so it is said. What was all that? said Broadman suspiciously. What did the innkeeper say? said the little man. Rincewind swallowed. Broadman, he said. Two mugs of your best ale, please. You can understand him. Oh, sure. Tell him tell him he's very welcome. Tell him breakfast is uh, one gold piece. For a moment, Broadman's face looked as though some vast inter internal struggle was going on, and then he added with a burst of generosity, I'll throw in yours too. Stranger, said Rincewind levelly, if you stay here, you'll be knifed or poisoned by nightfall. "'but don't stop smiling, or so will I.' "'Oh, come now,' said the stranger, looking around. "'This looks like a delightful place, "'a genuine Morporkian tavern. "'I've heard so much about them, you know. 
all those quaint old beams, and so reasonable too. Rincewind Grant glanced around quickly, in case some leakage of enchantment from the magician's quarter across the river had momentarily transported them to some other place. No, this was still the interior of the drum, its walls stained with smoke, its floor a compost of old rushes and nameless beetles, its sour beer not so much purchased as merely hired for a while. He tried to fit the image around the word quaint, or rather the nearest trob equivalent, which was that pleasant oddity of design found in the little coral houses of the sponge-eating pygmies of the Orohai Peninsula. His mind reeled back from the effort. The visitor went on, "'My name is Two-Flower,' and extended his hand. Instinctively, the other three looked down to see if there was a coin in it. "'Pleased to meet you,' said Rincewind. "'I'm Rincewind. "'Look, I wasn't joking. This is a tough place.' "'Good. Exactly what I wanted. "'Eh? "'What is the stuff in the mugs?' "'This? "'Beer. "'Thanks, Broadman. "'Yes, beer. "'You know, beer. "'Ah, the so typical drink.' A small gold piece will be sufficient payment, do you think? I do not want to cause offence. It was already half out his purse. Yult! croaked Rincewind. I mean, no, it won't cause offence. Good. You say this is a tough place. Frequented, you mean, by heroes and men of adventure? Rincewind considered this. Yes, he managed. Excellent. I would like to meet some. An explanation occurred to the wizard. Ah, he said, you've come to hire mercenaries, warriors who fight for the tribe with most milk-nut meal. Oh, no, I just want to meet them, so that when I get home, I can say that I did it. Wincewind thought that a meeting with most of the drums' clientele would mean that Two-Flower never went home again, unless he lived down river and happened to float past. Where is your home? he inquired. Broadman had slipped away into some back room, he noticed. Hugh was watching them suspiciously from a nearby table. "'Have you heard of the city of Bezpelagic? "'Well, I didn't spend much time in Trob. "'I was just passing through, you know. "'Oh, it's not in Trob. "'I speak Trob because these... "'because there are... "'many Betrobi sailors in our ports. "'Bezpelagic is the major port seaport "'of the Agitean Empire.' Never heard of it, I'm afraid. Two flower raised his eyebrows. No, it's quite big. You sail turnwise from the Brown Islands for about a week, and there it is. Are you all right? He hurried back to the table and patted the wizard on the back. Rincewind choked on his beer. The counterweight continent. Three streets away, an old man dropped a coin into a saucer of acid, and it swelled gently. Boardman waited impatiently. Ill at ease in a room made noisome by vats and bubbling beakers, and lined with shelves containing shadowy shapes and suggestive of skulls and stuffed impossibilities. Well, he demanded. One cannot hurry these things, said the old alchemist peevishly. A saying takes all time. A saying takes time. Ah! He prodded the saucer where the coin now lay in a swirl of green colour. He made some calculations on a scrap of parchment. Exceptionally interesting, he said at last. Is it genuine? The old man pursed it lips, his lips. It depends on how you define the term, he said. 
If you mean, is this coin the same as, say, a $50 piece, then the answer is no. I knew it, screamed the innkeeper, and started towards the door. I'm not sure that I'm making myself clear, said the alchemist. Broadman turned round angrily. What do you mean? Well, you see, with one thing and another, our coinage has been somewhat watered over the years. The gold content of the average coin is barely four parts in twelve, the balance being made up of silver, copper. What is it? I said the coin isn't like ours. It's pure gold. After Broadman had left at a run, the alchemist spent some time staring at the ceiling. Then he drew out a very small piece of thin parchment, rummaged for a pen among the debris of his workbench, and wrote a very short, small message. Then he went over to his cages of white doves, black cockerels, and other laboratory animals. From one cage he removed a glossy-coated rat, rolled the parchment into a file, attached to a hind leg, and let the animal go. It sniffed around the floor for a moment, then disappeared down a hole in the far wall. At about this time, a hitherto unsuccessful fortune-teller, living on the other side of a, the block, chanced a glance into her scrying bowl, gave a small scream, and within the hour had sold her jewellery, various magical accoutrement, most of her clothes, and most, all, most of all her possessions that could not be conveniently carried on the fastest horse she could buy. The fact that later on, when her house collapsed in flames, she herself died in a freak landslide in the Moorpork Mountains, proves that death, too, has a sense of humour.